All right, it's uh, Bible drill time again as we come together on Wednesday nights in these lessons looking at Christ or looking for Christ, looking for Jesus in the Old Testament. Uh, so we've started this about, I don't know, six, seven weeks ago, and we've explored various ways that we can see Jesus in the Old Testament. We started about talking why that's so important, uh, because it's as we behold the glory of the Lord uh, that we are transformed into that same image. And so that's, that's the longing of our heart, that we become like Christ. And as we see him, uh, Lord, as we see him, we, we become like him. We gaze upon his glory and are changed. And uh, we've looked at how to do that in a variety of ways. And tonight, I want us to, uh, to look for Jesus in his positions, his positions. And by that, I mean the offices that we find in the Old Testament. Prophet, priest, and king. Prophet, priest, and king. And I think in some ways, this is really the structure of the Old Testament. Uh, the, the, the installation and the operation of these three primary offices in, in uh, the people of God in the Old Testament. Prophet, priest, and king. A priest would be in relation to the law. Uh, the first five books, it's there where we have the instructions for the priesthood. Uh, you have the book of Leviticus, the installation of the tabernacle, the sacrifice system. All of that pertains to the, uh, the role of the priest. Uh, and then in the Old Testament, you have the sections of uh, the prophets, obviously. So you've got the major prophets, the minor prophets, uh, as they represent uh, God to the people, as they speak the word of God. Uh, but then the, the third major section of the Old Testament in the Hebrew Bible is uh, the historical section, the writings. And when you look at that, it's, it's predominantly the history of God's people, which is given to us uh, in, in those books in the story of the kings that governed and led God's people. Uh, you, you think about First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. I mean, that's a major chunk of Old Testament scripture there, and uh, it's dealing with the office of king. And of course, we pick up uh, those kings and other places in the Old Testament also. But those are the three major uh, offices, positions in the Old Testament: prophet, priest, and king. And ultimately. Christ is the fulfillment of each of them. He is the true, better prophet. He is the great high priest. And he is the king of kings, Lord of lords. So if you have your Bibles tonight, find Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18. Hebrews 4. And 2 Samuel 7. Deuteronomy 18, Hebrews 4, 2 Samuel 7. And one of these nights we're going to do it in Bible drill fashion just for fun. May I bring some smarties I can give out as rewards for those of you who find it first. All right, Deuteronomy 18 verse 15. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. So this is, Deuteronomy is the, the second giving of the law. It's the, the last message of Moses to the people before they cross into the promised land. Moses doesn't get that privilege. God forbid him from going in uh, to, to that land, but he, he gave them the law a second time. 
gave them some instructions. And one of the most important is what he gives them here. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So Moses told the people, be on the look for a prophet greater than me. The one that you should listen to. Now go with me to Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So this is the Hebrew writer revealing to us that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the office of priest. He is, in fact, the great high priest. And he'll go on later, and we'll look at that in, in just a moment, to argue in Hebrews 7, uh, into Hebrews uh, 10 as well, that, that Jesus is the, uh, the true fulfillment of the Levitical priesthood. Uh, he serves as a priest in uh, the order of Melchizedek. And so we'll talk about that. But now go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 4. So I feel like I tell you this often, but this is probably one of the most important passages in the Old Testament. Um, it's kind of like my favorite hymn, whatever hymn I just listened to is my favorite hymn, whatever verse we just read is the most important verse in the Bible, right? Uh, but no, this, this, really, this really is, we'll, we'll look at this in another lesson in this, this study that we're doing, uh, Christ and the covenants, but this is uh, the, the promise of God to David that, that we refer to as the Davidic covenant, his promise that he will give him a son who will sit upon his throne forever and ever um, and, and, of course, Jesus refers to himself as the son of David. Um, and I'm going to get ahead of myself here, but uh, prophet, priest, king, I kind of walked you through those sections, or those offices in sections of the, the Old Testament. Um, and those sections are the Hebrew arrangement of the Bible. So we're really chasing a rabbit now, but just bear with me. Um, so... The Hebrew arrangement of the Old Testament is different than how we have our English arrangement. Same books, but arranged differently. Um, when you come to the end of the Hebrew Bible, it doesn't end, the Old Testament doesn't end with Malachi. We have it there, 400 years of silence, then we come to the birth of Christ. The Hebrew Bible ends with the book of Second Chronicles. And at the end of 2 Chronicles, the king of Israel is deported to Babylon. And there's no king in Israel. And we've got this great promise. You'll have a king who will sit on your throne forever. And the Hebrew Bible ends with, there's no king to be found. And then that brings us to the glories of the gospel. We come to Matthew, who writes about Jesus as the king of kings. How long before we... Well, you've got 400 years between Malachi and 
So again, it's based on the structuring of the Bibles. Uh, the Hebrew Bible, you know, you've got seams in there. We're really chasing rabbits now. What I just basically wanted you to understand is uh, Christ is that fulfillment. He's the one who will sit upon the throne forever. So let's read it. 2 Samuel 7, verse 4. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling in all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel. Did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with a rod of men, with the stripes of sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him. So I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure before, forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So that's the Davidic covenant that God promises David. He will raise up for him a son who will sit upon a throne forever. So we have these three positions, these three offices, prophet, priest, and king. Major functioning within the Old Testament. And in each one of these, we get a glimpse of Christ. We see him uh, in these positions and as the true and ultimate fulfillment of them. So I just want to walk you through each one and kind of help us understand how, how they point us to Christ, where we see him in relation to these offices. So prophet, prophet. So the role of a prophet was to serve as uh, a mediator of God's word to man. Uh, they were to, to speak to man on behalf of God. And certainly that's what Christ is, what Christ does. As a prophet, they were to give revelation. They were to provide representation. And then ultimately what we see in the prophets of the Old Testament is that they faced rejection as well, right? So revelation, representation, and rejection. When we read about that in the Old Testament, when we see prophets in their offices fulfilling their duties, as we see them scorned and rejected by the people, that's ways that we get to Christ. Christ is the ultimate revelation that God has given to us. The Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 1 that in these last days God has spoken to us by His Son. John described Him in the beginning of his gospel as what? The Word, the eternal Lagos. He is the revelation 
of revelations that God has given to his people. He's also the representation that God has given to us. Again, the prophet was a representation of God to man. Jesus Christ is that as well, the true representation uh, to us. Again, the Hebrew writer tells us that he is the expressed image of the invisible God, that when we behold him, uh, we beheld the glory of the Father. So in the office of prophet, in the Old Testament, as we see these things playing out, uh, we get a glimpse of who Christ is. And then, of course, they were rejected. They were rejected. Jesus even laid this charge in Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, at the feet of uh, the Pharisees, the religious elite in Jerusalem. He even looked over Jerusalem and lamented, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets, you who murdered the prophets, you who, who turned away the messengers that God sent to you. We read about that in the Old Testament again and again and again. But of course, Jesus is the great fulfillment of the rejected prophet. He was despised and rejected for our sins. It was the rejection that he faced that would take him to the cross where he became our substitute and our sacrifice. So much of the Old Testament is given to the ministry, the office, uh, the duty, and the function of prophets. And as we read about them, as we see them, they give us a glimpse of the person, the work, and the ministry of Christ as the revelation, representation of God to man, and ultimately the rejection that he faced in becoming a sacrifice for our sins. So the second one that we talked about was priest, the office of priest. We could spend a long, long time here. We could uh, work our way through much of the book of Hebrews tonight, and I would love to do that, but I'm just going to give you a hopefully skim a rock across the surface of the lake and just hopefully touch a few points. But go with me back to Hebrews chapter 4. So the Hebrew writer in the book of Hebrews is essentially doing what we're aiming to do in this study, to, to show Christ in the Old Testament. He's writing to Hebrews, to Jewish people, something uh, perhaps even Jewish believers, and they're struggling with wanting to go back to the ways of Judaism. And he's, he's arguing that, no, Jesus is better. Jesus is superior. And one of the arguments that he makes is in relation to the priesthood, that Jesus is uh, the ultimate high priest, the great high priest. And back in the verses that we looked at, uh, Hebrews 4, uh, 14 through 16, there, there's three arguments that he, he presents us with. Why Jesus is a greater high priest. First of all, he's serving as a priest in a, a greater location. Verse 14, Jesus has passed through the heavens. The priests of the Old Testament ministered in tabernacle and temple that were made by human hands. They had a, an earthly ministry as a priest. But Christ has a heavenly ministry. He, he serves as our high priest, a priest kind of inverse of the role of the prophet who speaks on behalf of God to man. A priest uh, speaks on behalf of man to God. He's kind of the in-between there, a mediator. And Christ is there doing that on our behalf in heaven. He serves in a greater location. He provides a greater service. The Hebrew writer argues in uh, verse 15 that we have a high priest in Jesus who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses uh, but yet was tempted and did not sin. 
So he, he, he understands because he came and dwelt upon this earth, because he lived and faced temptation, because he battled against sin. He understands. He gives a greater service in that capacity. And he has a greater appointment. So through his service as the great high priest, we then have confidence to come into the presence of a holy God. This was in the Old Testament, to come into the Holy of Holies, to come into the place where God met with his people. And the tabernacle of the temple was a rite reserved only for the high priest, only on that day of atonement. But through the great high priest, through Jesus Christ, through his appointment and service, we all, by faith in him, can draw near to God. We all can come and receive grace and mercy to help in our time of need. So he serves in a greater location. He has a greater service. He serves at a greater appointment. You go further into Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 7. Flip your Bibles there, just a page or so. Hebrews 7, the first uh, 24 verses, the Hebrew writer is contrasting, comparing Christ as the, the great high priest to the order of Melchizedek, that shadowy figure that comes upon the scene in Genesis uh, with Abraham. And we don't have the time to go through all of that, but when you get to the end of that, in verse 25, he says, Consequently, well, we'll read verse, uh, start with verse 24. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So to kind of sum it up, the Hebrew writer simply says, Jesus Christ is the great high priest because he saves completely, he lives eternally, and he prays consistently for his people. The ministry of the earthly priest began and ended. The ministry of Christ, the great high priest ministering in a heavenly location, is eternal. He is the fulfillment of the office of priest. And so as we read about the priests in the Old Testament, as we read about the sacrifices, we read about their administration, uh, their responsibilities, it points us to Christ as the great high priest who has come to give a salvation that is eternal. He is the great high priest. And then the, the last office that we've looked at tonight is that of king. That of king. And of course, I've shared with you already that Jesus Christ becomes the fulfillment of that Davidic covenant, of that promise that God gave to David, that he would give him a son who would sit upon his throne. This is why Matthew opens his gospel with that genealogy. You know, we, we read those genealogies and we think, man, why, why is this in the Bible? A bunch of names we can't pronounce. Although I did love, you remember our Christmas cantata last year, the children sang Matthew's Begots, uh, Andrew Peterson's song. Uh, man, I love that. I, I was listening to that. I was listening to Christmas music the other day. Don't tell anybody. Uh, but man, I, I love hearing that as, as Matthew. And we think, man, why is this is... Holy Spirit-inspired writing. 
And he gives us a genealogy. Why? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One, because it reminds us that this is history. This is real. And that history really is his story. That what's happening in the Old Testament is the unfolding of God's plan of redemption. And it comes to pass through these generations that God aligns through which uh, a son of David ultimately comes who is established upon an eternal throne. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. But what is it about a king? Well, we get glimpses of this in the Old Testament. We even hear it in the verses that we read in 2 Samuel 7, verses 14 through 17, the functions of the king. One is that they were to um, provide deliverance and defeat the enemies of God's people. When you go back and you read again those verses in 2 Samuel 7, you'll notice that the Lord says to David, I'm giving your people victory. I'm making them have rest from all of their enemies. David was an instrument that God used to bring about that rest, to bring about that victory. That's a function of the king, to defeat the enemies, to deliver the people from, protect, or from oppression, to protect them uh, from those who would seek to do them harm. Well, isn't Christ the ultimate fulfillment of that? In fact, we could take these three offices, prophet, priest, and king, all the way back to the beginning of the Old Testament, because these three offices were assigned to Adam even in the garden. You'd be a prophet, you'd be a priest, you'd be a king, and as king, you have been given dominion to exercise authority over this creation and over this place that I've put you in. And, of course, Adam failed in that, didn't he? And one of the ways that he failed is that he, he didn't deal with the snake that was in the garden. You know, we read that account and we, we ask, or we should ask the question, where was Adam at? What was going on there? As a king, as one who's exercising dominion and authority, he should have been there to provide protection, to, to deal with enemies that would have arisen. And of course, Adam failed in that. He failed as a priest and a prophet as well, but he failed to defeat the enemy that came into the garden. But do you remember as God came upon the scene, as he judged all the parties that were involved, when he issued the first word of the gospel, Genesis 3.15? The promised seed of the woman would do what to the head of the serpent? Crush his head. He's going to fulfill the office of king completely. He's going to deal with the enemy of man. He's going to deal with the serpent, Satan himself. He handles him. And of course, he does that at the cross. Paul writes in Colossians that there at the cross, he has triumphed over our sin and over Satan. The function of the king was to defeat the enemies of the people. Uh, the other function of the king was to, to give decree, to rule, to reign, sit upon a throne, symbolic of that. And of course, we know that Christ has been given the throne above all other thrones. In uh, Revelation chapter 1, as John has that glorious vision of him, uh, when, when he is introduced to him there on Patmos, uh, he's told that he is the, the true and faithful witness. He is the firstborn from the dead. And he is king of kings. 
He's a true and faithful witness. He's the ultimate prophet. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's a priest who has given the ultimate sacrifice, but he is king over all. He rules upon an eternal throne. And then ultimately, the king was a display of glory. The king was a display of glory. We often think of Solomon in connection with his wisdom, and rightfully so. But that display of wisdom and that display of all that that wisdom led him to accomplish was a reflection of the king's glory. And you remember the account in the Old Testament when the queen of Sheba, the queen of the south, came. We talked about this, I think, at some point not too long ago in this study. She came and she saw all that Solomon had accomplished. She saw the joy of his servants. She saw the beauty of of the temple. She, she, She took it all in. And literally the Hebrew says, all the wind went out of her. She was left breathless. She was flabbergasted. She was overwhelmed. And then we get to the New Testament. And Jesus says there in Matthew, there's something greater than the temple that's here. There's one that's greater than Jonah who is here. But then he adds what? There's one who is greater than Solomon here as well. The king is a display of glory. And Christ is the ultimate display of glory to us. So as we read the Old Testament, you're going to be, you're going to find it hard pressed in your reading to not come across these offices. Pick any section of the Old Testament and you're going to read about a prophet. You're going to read about what a priest is doing. You're going to read about the history of a king and what's taking place under his rule and reign. And these glimpses and these offices and these positions aren't just there as historical records, although they certainly are that, but they're there to show us Christ. Every prophet in the Old Testament had some shortcoming. Likewise, every priest, the Hebrew writer, has explained that to us. Likewise, every king, even David, even Solomon, even Saul, they all came up short. But the true prophet the great high priest and the king of kings fulfills every function and every responsibility completely, truly, and greatly. That's who Jesus is. Our prophet, our priest, and our king. And we see him in the pages of the Old Testament in these positions. And as we do so, we get a glimpse of his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. And Lord, we pray that as we read our Bibles, and especially as we read the Old Testament, that we would see Christ. For those scriptures testify of him. And as we read about a prophet, as we read about a priest, as we read about a king, may it lead us to see and to know and to rejoice that Christ is the fulfillment of all of those. May we receive him as your true and better word. May we know him as our great high priest, our great mediator,
who has given a, a greater sacrifice and who provides uh, an eternal redemption for our sins. And may we bow to him in humble service and awe as our King and Lord. Father, thank you for Christ and all that he is. And Father, for these who are before me, I pray their faith in him would be firm. If it's your will that we gather this next Lord's Day, let us come longing and eager to see your glory. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.